0: Hear now the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Lord Jesus, we long to see you. We long to know you in the breaking of the bread. We invite you to stay with us, to come and enter into our lives, to enter into the journeys that we find ourselves on, especially in these uncertain days. Lord, would you be nearer than perhaps ever before and be to us a source of comfort and strength. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, before we dive into the sermon, two quick announcements that I want to make. Again, most of our announcements, if not all of them, you can find in our emails on Sundays and on Wednesdays, but I want to highlight two of them right here. And one of them hasn't been in our emails explicitly, but I just want to call this out. If you are anything like me and my family, especially if you have little kids, As these weeks go on, watching these videos, worshiping virtually as we've been doing, it's a really hard thing to do. Just so you know, even in my home, the the pastor's family, we are at home. We're trying to engage these, and yet my kids are bouncing off the walls. They're distracted. It's hard for them to engage, hard for us to engage as a result. Sometimes just getting through the service in and of itself feels like a little victory. And I imagine you can relate. I've talked to several of you, and I know it's been a similar experience. And just wanted to say one thing we did last week that seemed to work really well, especially if you have little ones at home. As you know, across all of our locations, our kids pastors at Trinity have been really busy creating their own lessons each week for our children. And Ashley Goode, I'm so thankful to her as she stepped in while Gypsy's on maternity leave. She has each week been creating these beautiful video lessons for our children. And one thing that we've started doing even this week, very intentionally trying to do is to line up the length of time that those kids lessons take with how long we spend preaching about 15 to 17 minutes. And so what we did last week was we watched the beginning of our service together as a family and then when it came time for the sermon, our children, we set up an iPad and put the kids lesson on for them in another room and Rachel and I continued the service Together And just kind of like we would do on a Sunday, frankly, where our children have an an age-appropriate lesson for a portion of the service. And then they come back and join us for the rest of it. Maybe that's something you could try at home as well. And so even if you wanted to push pause now and set that up, you can find the kids lesson on our website, northside.atltrinity.org. And if you click on the Sunday section, you'll find the kids lesson right there. I really would recommend that to you. Second announcement, and this is a really big one. This week, we are beginning across all of our locations, something we're calling the Love Your Neighbor Initiative. The Love Your Neighbor Initiative. As we all know, this pandemic has not only been a source of incredible health concern, where people have now literally millions contracted this disease and gotten sick. Countless more have died and are dying, even in our own city every day. And yet what we also know is that there's been a profound economic impact You don't need me to tell you that for you to know. Uh, Many of you have felt that firsthand, the way in which with our economy shut down now for for a month or so, it's been catastrophic in many uh, spheres of society and for many in our own city, even in our own parish, this has been incredibly disruptive. And one of the things we've done as a church from our normal, regular tithes and offerings, we've been able to, for the last few weeks, support our local partners, the nonprofits in our city who are on the front lines doing incredible work in these areas, helping people who are facing very real risk and vulnerability. We've also been able from our regular giving to support families and individuals in our church, in our own parish who are facing hardships economically right now. And that's such an incredible gift. And yet what we also know as we read the news and look at where this is headed, this likely, especially the economic impact, is likely to go on for months and months. It's hard to know what the next few months will look like. But what we want to do as the church is to be out ahead of that and to say, as we've said many weeks now, as the church rushes in we want to be able to be present in those places even when others rush out we want to be the church that rushes in to be the hands and feet of jesus in a profound way and so we don't talk about money a lot at trinity and i know talking about money in church for many of us brings up all sorts of emotions very complex issue and it's very rare that we ask you to explicitly give to a certain goal or a certain project but i would just say unapologetically explicitly, I'm asking you if you have financial means to consider giving to this Love Your Neighbor initiative. We're trying to raise over the next two weeks from today until Mother's Day, we're trying to raise $250,000 across all three locations. Every penny of that money is going to go outside of our doors to be a specific way that we support our nonprofit partners in this city and to support individuals within and without our church who are facing economic hardships. And so if you have means, I would just boldly say now is a time to be the hands and feet of Jesus in such a practical and tangible way. You can go on our website and in the giving section, find all the details and, and be able to contribute to this initiative. If you're in a place where you are not able to give financially, I also would encourage you to still press in and find ways to give yourself away. It doesn't have to be financial for you to give. Go to our website and you can see a whole list of ways to get involved, ways to help that many of them do not involve giving a single penny of your money. And so wherever you find yourself, I would just encourage you, press in. Let's be the church. Let's rush in when others rush out and love others in Jesus' name. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me, trip T-R-I-P-P, at atltrinity.org. We'd love to follow up with you on specifics if there's anything else you'd like to process with that. So now, let's turn for a few minutes to Luke, to Luke 24. I love this story. It's, again, one of the similar readings to what we've had the last few weeks, where we, again here, find Jesus in an intimate space. Jesus, post-resurrection, pressing in relationally with just a few people. Here are just two people walking on a road in an afternoon and into the evening. And yet what we see is an absolute transformation. This ends with them saying what has become our Easter acclamation. When we say every week, Alleluia, Christ is risen. The response, the Lord is risen indeed, comes from this very reading. People who are so transformed by Jesus that as it says, their hearts burn within them. Their hearts were burning within them. That's been one of the most frequent images I've used for the spiritual life on the north side. If you've been with us for a few months or even over the last year and a half or so, you've heard me say this many times. I think this is a central image of what it means to live the Christian life, to come fully alive, to become truly human and live life as God intends it to be lived. And these men on that first Easter day, as they walked along the road, they were becoming human. They were becoming what God made them to be and their hearts burned within them. And that is my prayer for us as well. I know many of us may not feel that right now. We may not feel like our hearts are burning within us with the life of God. We're hanging by a thread and just trying to get by. And yet the beauty of these stories is they show us what we can hope for. They show us the hope of Easter, the hope of resurrection, that wherever we are today, Jesus will come and draw near to us and our hearts will burn within us, burn with the very life of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, an incredible hope that we have. And so what I want to do is just sit with this and make three quick points, a few points as we walk through this. But keep that image in mind. This is my prayer for us. This has been my prayer every single day for you as a Northside Parish family. When I pray for you, I pray that wherever we are finding doubts and fears and confusions, that our Lord Jesus would enter into those, that you would encounter Jesus this Easter. That is my prayer every day, that you and I would encounter Jesus. And so let's look at three ways that this story shows us how their hearts burned within them, how they encountered Jesus. Our Lord. First point is this Jesus comes alongside the disciples. Jesus comes alongside the disciples. So we see this in the opening of our reading. Two people, Cleopas, and most likely tradition says Luke himself. So Cleopas and Luke walking along the road headed to Emmaus. And what's interesting. Straight off the bat is that if you read this story, it's not the first time in scripture we see Jesus draw near to someone who's headed somewhere, who's on a road. Most immediately, I think of Paul on the road to Damascus and the way in which Jesus confronts him on that road, quite literally stops him in his tracks, appears in his glory and power, and he speaks a definitive word to Paul. What's fascinating is that that is the opposite of what Jesus does when he encounters these men today, in our reading, walking on the road. Jesus comes alongside them today and, and he asks them questions. He says, what are you talking about? Why are you so sad? What are these things that have happened in Jerusalem? Jerusalem. Isn't it fascinating? Clearly, Jesus knows the answers to all of those questions. And so why does he ask them? Why doesn't he, in this moment, do what he did with Paul and just appear immediately in his glory? Well, there's many ways we could answer that. One that I would want us to sit with is I think our Lord Jesus, he respects their emotional and spiritual journey. He doesn't force himself upon them. He does not rush at them. He doesn't manipulate them. He doesn't twist their arm. Frankly, he doesn't discount where they're coming from. Their doubts and their confusion is not a problem for Jesus. He's not worried about that. He wants to ask questions and draw them out to learn. That's what relationship is like. That's what it means to be in relationship. Jesus doesn't want a robotic response from me or from you. He wants us to live in true, perfect union with him. And that means in this moment and in our lives, Jesus respects where we are at and he comes in and comes alongside us and he journeys with us. And so if you've ever found yourself feeling confused, feeling doubtful, wrestling with big questions of faith, I think this story is for you. Because Jesus isn't worried about those questions. He's not troubled by your doubts or confusion. He comes alongside and he walks with you. And he listens to you. And he asks questions. Now you may read this and listen to this story and say, Jesus doesn't seem all that comforting. (laughs) Like, are you sure you've read the same story? Because What I read is Jesus says, you foolish people. Oh, how foolish you are. And so what we cannot do when we read those words is is add onto them some kind of modern emotional interpretation to those words. We can't read that as Jesus dismissing or demeaning them in any way. That's not what's going on here. He's not mocking them. He's not insulting them. He's loving them with a perfect love. And how does Jesus love us? Well, as we see in this case, When we are misguided and confused, one of the loving things that Jesus can do is to gently redirect us and show us our error. It is not loving for Jesus to see us headed off a cliff and to just come alongside us and offer us a hug and say, I just love you so much. I love you just how you are. You just keep being you. No, that's not love. Jesus in this moment is loving them like a patient and good teacher with their students, helping them to see the error of their ways. He's sitting with them with the scriptures and showing them suffering is not a source of shame, but suffering in its shame and brokenness is actually the way of life. It's the way of victory and how God defeats all evil and sin and death. And so that's what we have to do even in these quarantined moments, we have to sit with our Lord Jesus and sit with the scriptures in prayer and say, Jesus, would you teach us where we're confused and where we're doubtful? Would you lead us? And so I've said this, I I know I sound like a broken record, but it is so crucial that we have a habit of prayer every single day, that you're cultivating a life with God, that you are Praying in the morning, praying in the evening, where you can, praying with others. Join us for Monday midday prayer. Pray evening prayer with us. Whenever you are able, press into these spaces where you, like Jesus did in this first story, can sit with the scriptures open and ask him to teach you. Ask him to teach us. Moving on. Second point. As Jesus moves towards us, we move towards him even in our uncertainty. As Jesus moves towards us, we move towards him, even in our uncertainty. It's really easy to miss this, but this is an important part of this story. Notice that they do not yet know it is Jesus when they beg him to stay with them. They beg and plead, stay with us, and yet they still do not know who he is. And yet there's something already, even while they don't have all the answers, where they feel their hearts coming alive, where they are drawn to Jesus, even encountering him in a very real way. And so they urge him strongly to stay. Other translations say that they constrained him. It's really remarkable. Can you think about constraining Jesus? That you long for him to stay so deeply, so profoundly, that you constrain him and say, Stay and continue to teach me. And this is a word of wisdom for us. You and I do not have to have all of our questions answered in order for us to have a meaningful encounter with Jesus. Sit with that today. All of your questions do not have to be answered for you to encounter the risen Lord. I think if I'm honest, I actually struggle with that statement. Even though I believe it to be true, I struggle with it. I struggle with the messiness of relationships. And that's true of human relationships, but it's true of how I relate to God with as well. I have a very high appreciation for things like reverence, and dignity and honor, even formality in how we relate to God and how we worship. Any of you who know me know that to be true. And yet this story shakes that up. It shakes it up in me. It it makes me realize that is not the full extent of what it means to know God and to encounter him. Because what we see here is Jesus showing up in very raw and vulnerable spaces and he heals people. And he's renewing people who don't even fully understand who he is or how he's doing it. And yet it is a very real encounter with him. I really long to see the beauty in that mess. I long to see it to be able to have grace for others in that place. And honestly, to be able to have grace for myself. Because more than I care to admit, I am often filled with confusion and fear and doubts, a longing for control, whatever it may be. And if I'm waiting until all of that resolves, until I pursue the Lord, then I will never actually encounter him. Because it is in those doubts, not in spite of them, that Jesus begins to heal us. And that's what this story teaches us. I want you to know the joy of encountering Jesus. And he longs to meet you where you're at right now. And if you wait until you've crossed every T and dotted every I and everything is just how you think it's meant to be and in a nice, neat category, you will miss Jesus entirely. And that would be a tragedy. It would be to miss Easter entirely because Jesus enters into mess and brokenness and sin and he speaks life and he invites us into a new reality. And so can you be bold this Easter? Can you be bold enough to invite Jesus into the messy parts of your life? I imagine now a month in or so to this quarantine, those messy and unruly parts of your life are maybe easier to see than ever before. You are acutely aware of your failures, your failures to trust God with your present, to trust him with the future, your shortcomings as a spouse, your shortcomings as a parent. The ways in which you've failed to love as you know you want to love. The way in which you just realize how desperately you need to be alone. How hard it is to find space to have thoughts to yourself and quiet time with God. And how in the lack of that, you feel yourself unraveling a bit at the seams. Maybe you're embarrassed or ashamed by how little you can get done. Maybe you started this quarantine with a long list of all the things you were going to do with all this free time that you have, the gift of free time and how you were going to get ahead. And yet now a few weeks in, you are just hanging by a thread. That list is long forgotten. And you're just trying to hang on. I can relate. I know right where you are. And yet it's in that place, not in spite of it, that Jesus wants to meet us. And so let's be bold, even be audacious. And like these early disciples say, Jesus, you're not going anywhere. I never talked to Jesus like that. but Maybe this is the time to say so. Jesus, I beg you to stay. You're not going anywhere because I need you to be present in this mess because I don't have all the answers, but I know you are strong where I'm weak and where I have doubts, you can answer them. And so stay with me, abide with me, enter in and dine with me so as we close, that's the third point. Jesus reveals himself to them. As he stays and as they press into this space, Jesus reveals himself. So third, Jesus re- reveals himself in communion and he offers himself to them as a gift. He reveals himself in communion and he offers them himself as a gift. Read with me verse 30. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and he gave it to them. This is Jesus continuing the same pattern that he began at the last supper. And this has been called the fourfold shape of communion. This is the very same pattern or shape that we follow all the way to this day when Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. This is what we do when we gather as the church. And I sow desperately long to be able to do so again. And when we do, what a joy that will be to enter into this very same rhythm where we take the bread, where we ask God to bless it and not only bless the bread, but to bless us with the gift of his presence. We break the bread as we enter into the sacrifice, the self-giving of Jesus on the cross. And then we give it. But this is so important. It's not just that we give it or even that I give it at all, but it is Jesus. It is God himself who gives his life for us. And that's so important for us to remember because it's not me who's doing the blessing. It's not me who's doing the giving. And it's easy maybe to forget that because I wear the silly shirt. I pray the prayers. I do the giving, but be very clear. If it's me blessing and giving, we're in trouble because I have nothing to give to you. Jesus is the one who blesses us. Jesus is the one who gives. And that's why so beautifully when we come to communion in church, we place our hands out like this with our palm open, nothing in them. We have nothing to give. And yet we come almost in a posture of prayer. And we say, Jesus, in my emptiness, in my doubts and fears, would you give yourself to me? I open myself to receive it from you. And so when I place that bread into your hands, it's not me giving you something per se, but it is Jesus himself who gives his life for the life of the world. He gives his life for your life so you can be fully aflame with the very life of God so you can be truly human. And if this sounds like I'm getting lost on some liturgical rabbit trail, this is, I think, profoundly impactful in how you live your life day in and day out. One of the things we've been praying as a family, and I'll close with this, we've been praying every morning as a family that God would help us to receive each day as a gift and that we would offer it back to him. That's a prayer I pray with my children. Lord, we receive this day from you as a gift and we offer it back to you as a gift if you can learn that rhythm of receiving and giving a gift, it will change your life. Because I know there's been many a day the last few weeks that does not feel like a gift. You don't wake up with a heart filled with joy. You wake up with a heavy heart, a heavy mind. And yet we must choose to see the very fact that we are breathing life living in this world right here and now, it is because God sustains us, he nourishes us with his life, and he offers it to us as a gift. And so we choose, no matter what we may be facing, we choose to receive it as a gift. And the way we offer it back is we offer it with praise, with thanksgiving, by seeing the beauty in each passing day, to see the goodness in the tiny interactions of love between our spouse, between our children, with a roommate, with a friend, to receive them and say, Lord, that is a gift from you and I offer it back to you with a heart of thankfulness, with a heart of humility, with a heart of gratitude and a heart of love. I think that rhythm of receiving and giving gifts, it'll change your life and it's needed in every age and in every season, but I think it is especially true now. We desperately need to see life as a gift. Jesus enters into our lives, he enters into our doubts, and he stays with us and he dines with us. And he gives us the gift of himself. And so we offer it back to him with thankful hearts. Lord Jesus, we do thank you. And we receive this day, this very moment as a gift. Whatever we are facing, whatever trials or fears or doubts we're encountering, we say that life is a gift. And so we thank you for it. And we offer it to you with humble hearts, hearts of gratitude. And would you fill us today, fill us with that fire of God, we pray. Join me, would you, as we pray the way that our Lord Jesus has taught us to pray this week. And as we go into our week, we do so offering it as a gift. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. God bless you. As we close, we sing together our final song.